It's good to have each of you in worship this morning. It's nice to see faces. I've been here and have been um, preaching to empty pews and knowing that people have been at home, and so it's nice to start opening up. I know that this is just our first phase of having people in our building, and there are others who have reached out to me and have said that they're hoping to be coming back in the weeks and months ahead. And as our um, parish nurse said at the beginning, we thank Emily for her comments, that we really want to provide different offerings during this time so people can choose what's best for them. So are you happy to be here? Does it feel a little different? Yeah, like very different, but you know... This too shall pass. Uh, Elderly woman in my first church who was blind, I used to visit her and I would go to encourage her, but she really was there to encourage me. And that's one of the great things about being a pastor is I get these wonderful people that I get to talk to. And one of the things that she said to me over and over is this too shall pass. And I really learned that from her. And I remember thinking about it with her that at her age, what that meant is one day she'd be in glory and she'd be with God where she would get to see again. And that certainly happened years ago. But even the way in which she lived out her later years of not being angry and not being resentful, but being able to accept life on life's terms taught me so much. And that's a lot of what this morning's message is about. It's a Bible passage that's taken in our Heart of God series to look at what happened in the early church. And let me say by beginning, that we sometimes think life is difficult, and we think, how can I get through it? And then we read things like what's happening in the early church, and we can't even imagine how they got through the stuff that they went through. Amen? They went through things that you and I can't even imagine. That that's just the reality of the scriptures, that we stand in a tradition in which Christians throughout the centuries have faced things because of their faith and because of their trust in God that we can't comprehend. And that's where our passage begins in Acts chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles, please turn along to them. Or if you have a smartphone, you could certainly turn to it on that. It's Acts chapter 12. I'm going to be reading beginning with verse 5 through verse 15. Listen how it begins. So Peter was kept in prison. Think of that. Peter's in prison. He's in prison because of his faith. He's been a faithful follower of Christ, and he's been proclaiming the gospel. And in the early church, the Christians got accused of all kinds of things that were problems in society, and so there became a persecution on the church. And this guy, Peter, this hero of our faith, churches all over the world are named after him, was going through a dark time in his life when he was in prison. Then we're told, but earnest prayer was being made for him by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He did not even know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. 
and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where they were gathered together and they were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't even open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate, and they said to her, now listen to this wonderful statement of faith, you're out of your mind. I know it's the middle of the summer, and we're probably not thinking of Christmas, but one of my very favorite Christmas stories is Dickens' Christmas Carol. In it, it begins with that line, Marley is dead. And Dickens wants you to understand that in order for you to understand anything amazing and wonderful that's going to happen in the story, you have to establish the fact that Marley was dead. Well, in order to understand the text of this morning's message, you have to understand Peter was in prison. That was a fact. That was an unfortunate situation that he was facing because it certainly isn't something that any of us wants to be facing. And it wasn't because he had done some awful crime. It literally was because of practicing his faith and telling others about Jesus. Now, it's interesting that the text also tells us that what was happening when he's in prison, people were praying. So think about that. It's the middle of the night. Your friend is in prison, and people are earnestly praying. You can almost get the angst of what's taking place here. In fact, the word earnestly that's used here is the same word that's used for Jesus when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus is in the garden, and he's praying, and they're saying he's praying earnestly, and the Bible says that he's literally sweating droplets of blood. It's just such an intense emotional experience, and that's what's happening. Think of it in your own life. Have you ever had anybody go through a difficult time? Anybody here ever had a family member or a loved one go through a tough time? Think of the intensity that we have, the care, the concern, the conviction. That's what's going on here. These people are just holding Peter in their prayers. But then in the middle of the night, in an answer to their prayers, as this meeting is going on, Peter's sound asleep between two guards, and an angel wakes him up, and a miracle takes place. The chains fall off. He walks out of the prison. He finds himself in the middle of the street. He doesn't know where else to go, but he somehow seems to know that his friends are having this prayer meeting for him. So he shows up at the home of the people who are praying. He knocks on the gate. This woman, Rhoda, comes out and meets him. She's so excited, she just starts yelling and screaming and doesn't even remember to open the gate. She goes back, tells everybody else what's happening, and get the picture. You're sitting here praying for your friend to get out of prison, and you're told, hey, he got out of prison, he's here. And what do they say? You're nuts. You're crazy. In in this story, in the book of Acts, as Pastor David said to us a few weeks ago, you get a description of events but you also get guidelines for us on how to live our lives. Because we are instructed to pray, amen? It's a privilege, is it not? It's a gift to be able to pray to God. And when we pray to God, to the sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth, it should give us a peace, amen? Let me say that again. It should give us a peace, but it doesn't always There are Christians who go through life and they pray and they go through the motions and they do the things that that we're told to do and they say, why is God not giving me that sense of his presence? What am I missing here? And I believe that these are the kinds of passages that help us understand that. Because finding peace through prayer 
is essential for us as Christians. It's absolutely essential. It's not enough just to pray our prayers and go on and hold on to all of the anxieties and frustrations we have in life. If we have a God that we can talk to, if we have a Savior who gave his life for you and for me, it's important for us to be able to have that sense of security when we offer those prayers and know that something's going to happen. And so what I see in the text and what I hope that we can can hear this morning is a few things that help us understand how to find a peace, how to find a sense of of life's going to be okay in the midst of the stuff that happens around us that we have no control over. Amen? Anybody here have control over everything that's going on in this world? Maybe if you do, you could talk to me after worship and, and we could sort of inform everybody else because we're all coming to a conclusion, you know? There's a lot of stuff we don't have control over, even people who thought that they had control over stuff. So we have no control over it. So how do we find the peace? Well, the first thing that I hear in the text is by following rules and praying. But they have to go together. And that's what we struggle with as Christians. A lot of Christians want to pray, but they don't want to follow the rules. Others want to follow the rules, but don't want to pray. And what the text helps us understand is it's important to follow the rules. Now, you don't have to agree with all the rules. In fact, if you agree with every rule and everything that's been passed out there, whether it talks about laws in your country or rules that your church have come up with or decisions that your schools have made, you're in a unique minority of probably one because nobody can ever agree on absolutely everything, but that doesn't mean we can't follow them. In our text, we read in verse 6, Peter was kept in prison, and Peter was sleeping. Peter and the early apostles had discovered, and you will find it if you read through the book of Acts, how to follow the rules. How to be okay with the way that the government was organized. And I'm fond of saying this to people, that when the Apostle Paul tells us to obey governing authorities, that all sounds really nice if you're an American. But he is a first century Jew living in Palestine under Roman rule, and the rules and the governing authorities that he's asking people to follow aren't exactly friendly to the people that he's living with. In fact, they would like nothing more than to get the Roman government out of there and be able to reestablish self-rule. That's a lot of why people turned against our Savior, because they expected him to lead a rebellion, and instead he preached peace and love and tolerance and learning to get along with others and learning to forgive oneself and learning to forgive one's neighbor. Peter had learned to follow the things that were established and to trust God even when he disagreed. Because nobody thinks that Peter is sitting there in prison thinking, well, you know, I got what I deserved here. You know, I'm really, I'm serving my time for something I did wrong. No, much the opposite. Peter is in the midst of a situation that he would never have said he did anything wrong, but he still has been able to establish that life would be okay. How do I know that? The text tells us he's asleep. He's able to go to bed at night and put his head down and fall asleep. On the very night in which his fate is being decided on. 
It says that Herod that night is going to make the decision on what's going to happen with his life. So think of the angst that he would have. Think of the pressures that he's going through, the struggles that are happening in his life, where he is as a person, and he's still able to turn it all over to God and go to sleep at night, put his head on his pillow, and say, I've done everything I can do, and I'm offering my prayers to God. It was 1996, and it was July 26. Now, I know the date because on July 26, 1989, Regina went into labor for David, and our wonderful first son was born the next day. Now, exactly seven years later, on the exact same day, Regina went into labor again. A good friend of us said to us one time, you know, July 27th is an awesome day to have a baby, but you don't need to have all of them on the same day. Well, there was a problem when Regina went into labor on July 26th. The baby wasn't due until the middle of November. And so as she went into labor, we genuinely thought that we were going to lose our second child. She was at a time, uh, about 25 weeks, and the doctors in the hospital said the baby would not be viable. Today, they've back that up. They can help children at a younger age, but in 1996, they were telling us it was a good probability we were not going to be able to have this child. The doctors that we worked with admitted her to the hospital, tried a new medication, put her on a monitor, gave all kinds of rules and guidelines that she had to follow that were incredibly invasive into our life. She could get up in the morning and she could go and lay on the couch. For the rest of the day, she could lay on the couch. If she wanted to get up, she could go to the bathroom, but other than that, she had to lay on the couch. The doctor said, don't even go to the kitchen to get a cup of tea, lay on the couch. We were told, don't cheat and do things like say, well, you know, I'm supposed to have bed rest, but I can get in the car and my husband will drive the car and we'll go to a coffee shop. Don't think that that's following the rules. Your rules are to stay on the couch and do nothing but stay on the couch. It became a very controlled time in our life, and we became dedicated to doing one thing well, exactly everything the way it was laid out. At which point, Regina started to tell me a philosophy of life that I completely buy into is follow the rules and pray. When we entered into the pandemic, Regina reminded me of what we had learned as a family at the time in which we thought we were going to lose our second child, who of course today is six foot three and plays in a praise band in Ohio, so we know that the story ended well. But she said, you remember, honey, what we've learned. Follow the rules and pray. It's a basic Christian New Testament principle. If you read through the, the book of Acts or you read the writings of Paul, you'll see that we certainly, there's times when you can disagree with things and you can do stuff to get things changed, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But the basic way in which we are invited to live our lives as Christians is to be good examples of following the rules and praying and trusting God. Jesus himself was one day taken to the Temple Mount. And Satan tested him and said, okay, if you're really the son of God, then just jump off this temple mount. There's no reason why God can't save you. And what does Jesus say? Don't test the Lord your God. And I think that the message for us as Christians and the reason why this text just happens to appear as a passage that we're 
preaching this morning because this was not designed this way. We laid this out before we thought we were going to be opening up. This had nothing to do with why we have this text this morning. This was a text that we prayerfully considered months ago for this morning. And it reminds us of the importance of just accepting life on life's terms, following the rules the way that they are laid out for us, and praying and trusting God. And we start to have peace in our life. I know that parents have all kinds of angst about the fall and about school and what's happening. I would give you really one bit of godly wisdom from a pastor. Follow what's laid out for you and be okay with it. Pray for your children and trust and make the best decision that you can and know that God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. We don't have to second-guess every question. We don't have to spin it all through our minds and try to think that we could do it better. We don't need to become like Horton McGrew. You know, he's in, in the Sioux story. If I ran the, the zoo, said young Horton McGrew, who wants to change everything, there comes a point in our life where we follow the rules and we pray and we start having the peace that Peter has. But the other thing we need to do is then we need to wait and see what God does. And that's one of the reasons why Christians have a hard time finding peace in their life is we forget to wait on God. Because in the midst of our following things and being okay when we're not okay, we pray and we trust and we wait for God to do his work. Verse 7 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, that's Peter, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side... And he woke him and he said, get up, and the chains fell off. You see, Peter, who had not taken matters in his own hands, now was told to, behold, look at what God's doing. And sometimes what we do as Christians is God acts and we just chalk it up to a coincidence. Isn't that just fascinating? Isn't that just amazing that things worked out for me? Instead of looking at what God does, the word behold is used 187 times in the New Testament. And almost every single time, it's look at what God's doing. Behold what God has done. It starts with Mary and Joseph who are told, behold this new thing that God's doing with the birth of this child. And in our life, if we want to have peace, if we want to be able to have a sense of being okay in life, we pray and we wait on God and we behold and we see what God does again rather than settling, which we are prone to do and doing things our way. And rather than waiting and looking for God's deliverance or God's answer, we think, well, we'll just shortcut the whole thing because we know better and we'll do it our way. Have you ever done that? It's called taking your will back. When we take our will back are those times when we know we need to turn something over to God. We know we need to leave it in his hands, and instead we do it our way. It's this time of year, every year, that I start back in my running because I take off the months when it's really intensely hot, and then when it starts getting a little bit better, down into the lower 80s, into the 70s, I have been instructed to do very easy, gentle runs. And the other day, it was about 85 degrees, and I was supposed to go out for a nice three-mile run, and I decided to do it my way. I figured, I'm feeling pretty good. I'll go out for five. And I was supposed to take a water bottle, but I thought, I don't really want to carry that heavy thing on my run, so I left it in the car. And for a mile, I felt good. At mile two, I was feeling okay. And a couple, two, three miles out in the country, I all of a sudden stopped and thought, what have I done to myself? I had no cell phone. I, I knew better than to bring a cell phone because I was doing it Stan's way. So now I'm stuck out in the middle of nowhere 
walking back thinking, why do I do this to myself? Why do I think that I know better than what's been laid out for me? Now, yesterday, it was time for me to go out for another run, and I got out of the car, and I was feeling really good, and I started to do the same thing, and I stopped, and I said, wait a second, we were just down this route the other day. So I took a water bottle with me, had a nice drink of water, and went out for a very gentle three-mile jog, and felt great when it was all over. It's amazing when we quit thinking we need to be in control, and that we know better, and we turn it over, and then we wait and see. In my case, I wait and see that when I do it God's way, which is a way that's been laid out for me, I know that I get feeling better. And sometime this fall, I'll be bragging, and I'll be telling you about a 10 or 12-mile run. If I do the things that I'm asked to do and do it the way that it's laid out for me instead of grabbing it back my own will, which is, again, what we're all prone to do as Christians. Think we knew better and think that we can do it our way, and we work ourselves up into a tizzy and a turmoil, and we ask, where is the peace in life? And our text reminds us to become more like Peter, to be okay with life on life's terms and turn the things over to God and to wait and see, but then also when God acts to open the door. Because so often when God does his work, we find ways of shutting God out. Maybe we take credit ourselves or we chalk it up, as I said earlier, to a coincidence. Verses 14 and 15 is my favorite part of the passage. Recognizing Peter's voice, Rhoda, in her joy, didn't open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate, and everybody said to her, you're out of your mind. Rhoda recognized and gets all excited. The people respond with a wonderful statement of faith. We've been praying for God to to deliver our friend. We believe that God's going to deliver our friend, but the one thing we don't believe is that God can deliver our friend. And they fail to open the door. Just simply open the door and see what God's doing. Look and find the places where God is delivering. It's almost as if it's that old TV show, Let's Make a Deal. Do I have any Let's Make a Deal fans here? How many of us enjoyed Monty Hall? Door number one, door number two, door number three. The contestant is getting all excited, finally comes down and says, I'm going to take door number two. Yes, no, don't open it. Yes, open it. No, don't open it. No, no. Then finally the person covers her eyes and says, I just can't look. And that's almost what we become in our faith. We just run away from stuff and get so worked up in our own turmoil and our own thinking that we don't just pause and stop and say, look at what God's doing. Just count the blessings and open the doors and look at the places where God has answered prayer and listen to the testimonies of a young man like Austin this morning saying, God's just been faithful with me. Continues to work in my life. Give credit to God when God works in people's lives or in our own lives and open the door and see what God is doing. And so now I'd like to make it real for us. I don't know if any of you have noticed, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. Anybody here notice that? Let's just uh, show of hands. Anybody? It's called COVID-19. Well... A lot of times we make it as if it's the worst thing that's ever happened ever of all time. We turn it into something that's beyond what it is. Because I go back and I read human history and and church history, and I read the things that people have gone through, and I go back to the New Testament, and I look at guys like Peter, and I go, Peter spent time in prison. His best friend was stoned to death, and I'm asked to put on a mask. 
And when I put it in perspective, it's really not that awful. It doesn't mean I like it, and it doesn't mean that I enjoy putting on a mask, and it doesn't mean I like socially distancing, but when the annals of church history gets written 3,000 years from now, they're not going to look back at the pandemic of 2020 and say it outdid the persecution of the early church. And yet we are the followers of Jesus Christ and the heirs of a group of people who stayed faithful to God no matter what took place. Amen? Do you hear that? That's who we are. We are followers of Christ, though no matter what comes our way, we trust in God and we get through it. And Peter prayed and believed and he could sleep at night. And we get anxious over everything. And God says, turn your concerns over to me. Turn them over to me. Hand them to me. And hand them to me, but really give them to me. And God answered the prayers of, of the early church. They prayed for his deliverance, but because they didn't have faith to believe, even when it happened, they weren't able to receive the miracle that God had done. And I think that's us sometimes, that we get so caught up in doing it our own way and thinking we have to have it our own way, that we have an outward form of godliness that inward the Lord hasn't changed our heart to the point of where we genuinely are trusting, which was why I've always liked the story from the prairie probably because I came from the prairie, about the pastor who came to church one Sunday and the farmers cornered him before the worship service and pastor, our, our crops are failing. Something has got to change and we need you to do something. And the pastor said, what do you want me to do? And they said, we want you to pray because maybe your prayers will, will finally get God to give us rain. And so the pastor said, okay. And he got up on the worship service, and he said, next Wednesday, I'm calling a prayer meeting. It's going to be at old Doc, Mr. Clark's farm. We're going to meet on Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'd like you to come and join me for prayer. And not only you, invite your friends, invite anybody that you know. And at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, the pastor showed up, and the entire congregation was present. And not only was a the congregation present, all of their family and all of their friends were present, and all the other churches in the area, they all showed up, and the pastor stood before them and said, this is amazing. Look at how fervent and look at how creative we are. We are here to trust God and to believe God. And he said, I want to thank you all for being so fervent. But then he said, however, I've looked out and I realize that there's only one of us who believes that God can answer our prayers. We've all showed up, but it's only the 11-year-old Smith boy who brought an umbrella. That's how we live our life too often. We pray and we say that we trust God. We look at the outside and we say, I go to church, I do my things, I read my Bible, I say my prayers, why am I not feeling better? Why is God not taking away this anxiety and this hurt in my life? I suggest this morning we start picking up our umbrella. This morning's message and the passage of Scripture is about learning to truly trust God. Not trust ourselves, but to trust God. To know that no matter what we face, we can follow the rules, we can pray. We can then wait for God's deliverance. We need to open the door and see what God's doing. 
But the entire time, we are talking about God who created it all, who knew that the 2019 pandemic was coming before it was, who knows in your life and my life any situations that we're facing, because it's not only what's happening in our society that gives us concern. Families go through real struggles. It could be with work. It could be with a loved one in your life. It could be with a health concern that you have or someone else that has. We are invited to truly trust God and know that he can answer our prayers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you that we can trust in you and we literally can bring our umbrellas to know that when we ask, you hear and you answer. Give us that assurance today. Help us know that in our lives, that we are not alone, that you are with us and watching over, and you are doing a work even when we don't see it. Help us to become more like Peter. We can go to bed at night and rest and put our head down and know that God's in control. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.